Hello, I'm Sam and welcome to the Learn and Experience podcast, exploring and making sense of the world we live in through adventure, life skills and language. Today I'm joined by our two regular team members from Learn and Experience, the people bringing the world's youth together since 2009. We've got language guru Mike. Hello. And our very own Miss Positive, Julie. Hi there. This episode will be visiting Sweden, Italy, Canada, Finland, South Africa and Tanzania in Around the World in Six Stories. And on the big discussion this week, we talked about the age of voting. We'll be looking at Kenya in fact or fiction. And this week in the youth spotlight, we have the story of a giant puppet who's going to walk from the Turkish-Syrian border all the way to Manchester. And this week on Life Skills, I learned how to navigate myself using a map and a compass. This week on the Language Corner, we're looking at riddles. This is the Learn and Experience podcast. Okay, where are we visiting this week, Julie? So first we're over to Sweden, where we have Emmanuel Chapontier and Jennifer Dunda, who are the first all-female recipients of the Nobel Prize in Chemistry. Um, They won it for the development of a method for genome editing. Now, for those of you who don't know what the Nobel Prize is, um, it was founded by a chap called Alfred Nobel, and he was an inventor, entrepreneur, scientist, and businessman who also wrote poetry and drama. So since 1901, the Nobel Prize has been honoring men and women from around the world for outstanding achievements in physics, chemistry, physiology, or medicine. One of the winners, Emmanuel, said that her wish is that this will provide a positive message to young girls who would like to follow in the path of science and to show them that women in science can also have an impact through the research they are performing. Can I ask what genome editing is, Jules? You certainly can. <laughs> <laughs> I can I, ask. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, is it yeah. genes that meditate? Um, Gen- uh, genome, genome editing, isn't it? Is it t- genome, genome editing. editing. Oh, was that not clear? Right, I heard genome editing. <laughs> I think you might be the only person who heard that. <laughs> We're going to go to Italy now, where a tourist has stolen artifacts from the ancient city of Pompeii, returned them, and blamed them in the letter that she said when she returned them that she had 15 years of bad luck. The woman, named only as Nicole, returned two white mosaic tiles, two pieces of a vase, and a piece of ceramic wall in a package that she sent to a travel agent in Northern Italy. She apologized for taking a piece of history which has a lot of negative energy in it, saying, I was young and stupid. So lessons to us there, I think, are pretty clear. Don't steal. Because it gives you a curse. It's a good reason not to steal. Nobody wants to be cursed for 15 years. That's a long time to be cursed. So I'm going to Canada, Nova Scotia, where a five-meter-long great white shark has been found and tagged by researchers off the coast of Nova Scotia. The shark, which has been nicknamed the Queen of the Ocean, is one of the largest great whites ever seen in Northwest Atlantic Ocean. The researchers tagged the 1.6 ton shark before releasing her back into the water. 
The tag's mean scientists will now be able to track where the queen of the ocean swims and how deep she dives. I thought nicknames were meant to be a bit <laughs> snappier than that. I think that's quite a long, long name for a nickname, don't you? Queen of the Ocean. That's a great nickname. I want to be Queen of the Ocean. I can't swim very well, so maybe... I wouldn't argue with a shark on her nickname, Mike. No. This is true. Sam, do you know how deep generally sharks sharks can dive? So they can dive up to 1,800 metres, but I think they prefer to be around 400 metres. So that's quite reassuring (laughs) if they're hanging around at that depth. So what was the, the free diver? He was... Free diving about, yeah, he was 112 meters. Yeah. Ah, okay. So he would have been fine. He'd have been fine. I, d- I think they prefer being a lot deeper. It's pretty rare that they come, they come up to the surface. That's very good news. Okay, off we go to Finland. Where? How would you like to be the prime minister for the day? So it's the fourth year that Finland has taken part in Plan International's Girls Takeover, which allows teenagers from countries across the globe to step into the shoes of leaders in politics. So 16-year-old Eva Murto, who actively campaigns on climate and human rights issues, applied to take part in the scheme. So she won, and she used her day in power to highlight the need for women in tech and tackling online abuse against women and girls. She took over from Sana Marin, who became the youngest, the world's youngest prime minister um, when she was sworn in last year at the very, very young age of 34. That's incredibly young, isn't it? Really cool. So she met with other politicians and leaders and kind of important people. Yeah, exactly. She met with um, various people in the party and kind of sat with them and, and, and chatted. There was other country that this, this happened as well. I think Vietnam was another one. Not a lot of countries that do it, but it's certain countries that take part in Plan International's Girls Takeover. But yes, yeah, such a great idea. And so Sana, um, Sana Marine, who is the youngest prime minister, another fascinating thing is that her cabinet is made up of a coalition. So it's a coalition government, all women and all kind of in their mid-30s. So it's a very good country to, to look to for um, equality. What would you do, Julie, if you were in power for one day? Oh, gosh. Um, would you make mandatory dancing every day? Oh, that's a great one. Maybe like from 9 to 9.30 was just dance. Everybody has to dance for half an hour. I think the, uh, everybody would get a lot of benefit from that. Definitely. I think so. I think we'd yeah. see a ripple effect of... of goodwill just spilling out through through all those endorphins released and everyone Mm. happy eh? people feeling happy speaking of young people and super cool projects there's a guy called reese slade who grew up in cape town he's 17 years old cape town is known for its beautiful beaches and and spectacular mountains and reese Grew up in Cape Town. His mum was a principal in a school, so he he was always around small kids. But he grew up in this beautiful place and saw firsthand how increasingly people were dropping their litter on the beaches. They were dropping litter in the as they were walking up Tabletop Mountain. So he decided to do something about it, and he created the organisation Earth Kids. Uh, org, Earth Kids Org, which is a project that collects litter and plastic from all the beaches in, in Cape Town. But the really cool thing is he doesn't stop there. He recycles it 
the let the litter to then create games which he then he then donates to preschools around the townships in South Africa. So for example, he's created skipping ropes out of plastic bags. Wow. He's made stacking cups out of yogurt cups. And in total, he's created more than 300 games, which he's donated to, to various schools scattered around Cape Town, which I think is really cool. So good on, we can definitely get behind Reese on, uh, on the Learning Experience podcast. Well done, Reese. What a creative guy. Well, I wonder what I could, well, I wonder what we could make from our, our recycling. It makes you think, doesn't it? Like, you know, if you have young children in the house, just never throw anything away because you can always make, make something fun. Bit of imagination, yeah. bit of bit of energy, and mm. you can you can transform everyday objects. Yeah, definitely. A small scale miner in Tanzania has become an overnight millionaire after making the largest discovery of tanzanite stones in the country's history. Tanzanite is one of the world's rarest gems. Sananu Liza has found three stones with a value of over $5 million. Liza plans to use the money to invest in his community in Manyara, saying, I want to build a school near my home. There are many poor people around here who can't afford to take their children to school. But Liza said he would not change his lifestyle and that he planned to continue looking after his 2,000 cows. That was Around the World in Six Stories. Okay, so in the big discussion this week, we talked about the age of voting. And from my lovely conversation with our our young people, uh, our resident young people, we talked a bit about the different ages. And I think we we kind of realized that the youngest age that one can be is about 16. And in some countries, the highest age can be as high as 25. And we just kind of talked about whether 16 was too young or whether 25 is too old. So, so, so what do you guys think? What, what do you, so in Canada, Sam, what is the, the, the age of, that you, you, you're able to vote? So it's 18 and it's very apt at the moment because we're, 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 we've got our provincial elections, which is where every, so BC uh, is electing their premier, which is effectively like a, a prime minister, but just in charge of British Columbia. I would suggest that 16, is a good age uh, to vote, but at the moment it's only 18. But I would be all for 16 year olds. I think uh, they've got a lot more invest, investment for the future in, in what's gonna happen, you know, for the next four years. Um, so yeah, I think it's a great idea. And I think as well, you, you Sam has two young daughters and I think you said, um, you mentioned that somebody actually came into your school and had a little chat with them about the different political parties, which is great. I think, you know, young people need to be informed and be, you know, make sure that they, they find politics and, and, and all this kind of stuff interesting to enable them to, to you know, to, to have all the knowledge to be able to vote at 16. I agree. I think that often the detractors of the of lowering the age of voting will point to the fact that young people don't understand all the issues behind politics but i think as julie says if you give them the vote it gives them the reason to go off and engage and research and talk to people about the issues that's that that affect them and will affect them in the future so i'm i'm definitely all for lowering the age of voting Yes, it was a very interesting um, conversation and debate I had with these young people. Uh, 
it really depends because I haven't really touched into the Hong Kong politics. I mean, I'd love to start learning more about it, but currently I'm not 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 interested into it. So mm. I'm I don't really mind if I'm voting or not because what you're voting is just like uh, MSPs rather than actual MPs. Well, mm -hmm. than um, prime ministers and stuff. Mm -hmm. Do you think um, if you were allowed to vote? uh in the uk because you've been here for six years and you know more about it oh yeah of course i mean from what i'm learning like we're just talking about different parties right now and i think it'll be very funny that i can, i'm allowed to vote i mean mm. quite a lot of people want to vote but most of us are 16 17 so you know a high tide rises all boats and i think most um, people my age are much more engaged and know more and are more interested than say 10 even five years ago and how does that relate to action like going oh oh completely like um Greta Thunberg um she's just one example but also the people that she's inspired like me and my friends who've all gone to climate marches you know people taking much more interest in school you know um a lot more people kind of we um for example we did a thing where we all um like wrote letters to RMPs in school saying all these kind of things that like just never would have crossed my mind before like that kind of I mean you know also we talk about it but actually like doing the stuff that you can make a difference yeah 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 that's great okay now we have fact or fiction we are looking at Kenya this week anyone know anything about Kenya I know the capital city but I'm not going to say in case Mike doesn't know the capital city and I might give something away well, I visited Kenya at the age of Of course 18. you did. <laughs> I studied it when I was... Uh... <laughs> uh, shall I just pack my bags now, or...? It doesn't mean I know anything about it. We shall see. Mount Kenya is the highest mountain in Africa. I'm That's going a big to... sigh, Julie. That's a big sigh. I feel confident already because of the sigh. <laughs> well, being that you didn't know. jump in immediately, Mike, I'm guessing you don't know. So I'm going to say fact because that sounds factual. And I'm going to go with fiction because Kenya? Mountains? Nah. Mike, you are correct. Hey, it is, in fact... Mind the second highest mountain in Africa. So it is, Ooh. they do have mountains in Kenya, uh, but the highest mountain, anyone know what the highest mountain may be in Africa? No. Kilimanjaro. It is Kilimanjaro oh, oh. in Tanzania, oh, so yes. Yeah. I did know that. You just got so, to think deeply sometimes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> there are 28 different languages spoken in Kenya. Now, I know that Kenya has a lot of languages that are spoken there. Whether it's 28 or not, it's a guess. So I'm going to go with true. True, because I know that there are an awful lot of different languages spoken in Kenya. I'm going to go false, because I think Sam's done one on us. I think it's either something really close to that or really far away. <laughs> I think there's I think, I think there's it would more. be a bit I mean say... if I did 29. No, it's 29 guys. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's exactly what you would do. I'm going to say false. I think there's I'm going to say I think there's more. I think there's more. That is correct, Judy. <gasps> there, there are a lot more than that. There are over 68 known different languages spoken in Kenya. 
68. Well, how do they communicate with each other? Well, the official language is, does anyone know what the official language? What did you speak? What language did you speak to your girlfriend in? Oh, she spoke English, but I think it might be, what's the main language in that part of the world? Oh my gosh, brain freeze. Don't know. Okay, so English is spoken a lot, but Swahili is the official language in Kenya. The population of Kenya is about 50 million. Is that a question? (laughs) Is that a statement? I'm going to say fiction because I think there's more. And I'm going to go slightly less. I'm going to say about 45 million. You're also going fiction, Mike. Well, I mean, 45, close enough to 50, so I'll go truth. <laughs> so fact. What are the other, fact or fiction? I'll, I'll go fact. Yeah, I'll go fact. Not true or false, the, the name of the segment is fact or fiction. <laughs> I'll go fact. It is, in fact, a fact. The yes. population is uh, just over 51 million. Um, no, so hold on. I said fiction because I thought it was more than 50 million. So I'm I said 100%. About 50 million. Oh, be more specific in the Within facts. a million. <laughs> the capital of Kenya is Nairobi. I'm going to say fact. I'm also going to say fact. You guys have heard of Mombasa, right? No. Yeah, is it the well, capital? I have. It's not the capital. He's playing it. He's doing a cheeky one. Is it? It's not yeah. the capital. The capital oh, is Nairobi. I, I was worried. Julie wipes the sweat from her brow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kenya was a colony of the United Kingdom from 1920 until 1963. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. It was definitely a colony of United Kingdom. And 1920, after the First World War, sounds about right. 1960s, sounds about right for, for the independence of Kenya. I'm going to go with fact. Mike gave a very wishy-washy answer there. So I'm going to <laughs> deduce from that that it could, in fact, be fiction. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Well done, Mike. Oh. You are this week's winner. Kenya was a colony of the United Kingdom from 1920 until their independence in 1963. Well done, Mike. Thanks, Jules. Good sport. (laughs) Always. (laughs) (laughs) So, in the Youth Spotlight this week, we have the story of a giant puppet who will walk from the Turkish-Syrian border all the way to Manchester in the UK. This puppet is three and a half meters high. And it's a puppet of a nine-year-old girl called Amal. And Amal is symbolizing the young children, thousands of young children that are displaced from their homes every year. So this is one of the most adventurous and innovative public artworks ever attempted, as it's going to go through uh, 5,000 miles passing through 70 different towns. And if we're fortunate enough to do this with all of the current current situation with COVID, there'll also be uh, live street art and community events outside. And they've also planned for, in the event that they won't be able to do things outside, they've also planned for, for things online. 
But the whole project is really to highlight not just the plight of refugee children, that they need blankets and food and money um, to, to get ahead in life, but also just to show that they need dignity and that they need a voice as well. So this hopefully is going to showcase that to, to lots of different people around the world. So that's something we can definitely get behind in the, the Learn Experience podcast. That's amazing. So who, who's actually made this, this puppet? Yeah, so it's the brainchild of, it's two organizations. It's the people who made the play Warhorse, which was a, a puppet of a, of a giant horse. So they've come up with this and they've joined forces with a refugee group called the Good Chance Team, who were behind the jungle, which is the, the refugee camp in Calais. And so they've joined forces and uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of work, obviously, that's gone into creating this huge puppet. Three and a half meters high to give you an idea. It's kind of what, twice the size of an average human. Is that right? Two and a half times the size, something like that. It's a really big, if you Google the image of Amal, little Amal, nine-year-old puppet, it's quite incredible. And who'll be working the puppet? Who will be making Amal go along? So volunteers will be working the puppet. Because it's a very long way to go, so it couldn't just be the same person, I guess. So that's absolutely amazing. What an amazing idea. So this week on Life Skills, I learned how to navigate myself using a map and a compass. So I enlisted the help of my very good friend and experienced Duke of Edinburgh leader, John Barrowman, who met me on a dry, um, weirdly, Scottish hillside to talk me through some map reading skills and how to orient myself on a map. So first he explained what a map is. So I'll I'll post that question to you two. Mike, what do you think a map is? A map is a collection of countries from around the world. Not incorrect, but not the answer I'm looking for. Sam, <laughs> what do you think? What would you, what would you say a map is? Uh, helps you get to where you want to get. So that is the answer that I gave John, which was also incorrect. So he described it as a representation of what is around you. So then by using a compass to orient the, orient the map, you can work out not only where you are, but then you can work out how to navigate yourself in a specific direction. So sort of some key things that John pointed out. So the key is that when you orientate yourself on a map is not to turn the map, otherwise you're going to lose north. So what John, John pointed out was it's a good idea once you orientate the map to north is to actually set the map on the ground and walk around the map um, so, that you, so that you're kind of getting an idea of a, a bird's eye view. So if you give a map to somebody and they start to turn it around in their hands, just simply take it, take it back. <laughs> um, we then looked around around us. Um, John asked me to kind of look, look, look about myself to try and see if there's any noticeable features such as hills or pockets of water and pylons. And it was really cool because kind of close to where we were, the pylons changed sort of direction. So I could actually find that um, on the map and then really pinpoint um, very closely where we were. So I guess the tips were to, to kind of orientate yourself is you, you don't need a compass, um, an actual physical compass. You can probably use a compass on your phone. So the idea is to find north on your compass, then have a good, good look about yourself. And also don't be scared to walk, you know, in different directions to try and find something noticeable. Um, you might, you know, where you're standing, not be able to see very much. So when you're trying to kind of orientate yourself, yeah, don't be scared to walk a little bit further. And for those of you who don't know who Duke of Edinburgh are, 
Uh, the Duke of Edinburgh um, works with organisations across the UK and they help young people gain essential skills and experience and confidence to successfully navigate adult life. Super cool, Jules. Hmm. Being aware of what's around you when you're out for a walk is a good start. I think a lot of us kind of have that head down in the phone mentality still a little bit where we go, we jump into that that's our escape plan is to go to a GPS or something. But I think there's a lot that you can learn from looking at an, a, an old fashioned map where you see the, the, the natural environment around you. So I think that's really cool. Definitely, definitely. And for those of you who would like to see John Perriman teach me how to um, use a map and to use a compass, if you can head on over to our YouTube channel, you can watch the feature length video there. So on this week's Language Corner, we have a riddle. So if you know the answer to this riddle, please write in or text in or communicate via your GPS or whatever it is. Use the map to find us. What am I? I have a source, but I'm not a journalist. I have a delta, but I'm not a Greek alphabet. I have banks on both sides of me, but I'm not surrounded by money. I flow, but I'm not a bloodstream. And I'm full of water, but I'm not a fish tank. So if you know the answer to that riddle, please write in. I've got one for you guys. Go on then. Oh. What has hands and a face, but can't hold anything or smile? Jules, do you know? A clock. It's correct, it's a clock. Oh. <laughs> okay, I've got one for you. A sphere has three, a circle has two, and a point has zero. What is it? I've no idea. Don't know. No, I don't know. I think I was really, I would never have got that if I was you guys. Dimensions. Ooh. That's hard. Nice. Sorry, guys. Okay, spelling bee this week. We have our self-proclaimed worst speller in the world, Julie, up against our language guru, Mike. The first word is millionaire. Now, the reason I'm fairly confident with this is that one of my favorite cakes is millionaire shortbread. So I've seen it written quite a lot. So I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit vaguely confident. So I'm going to go for it. M-I-L-L-I-O-N-A-I-R-E. Millionaire. All that baking has paid off, Jules. <laughs> How do you know? It might be wrong. <laughs> it's paid off in millions. <laughs> Are you sticking with, with that answer, Mike? Yep. Good job. Well done, both of you. That is the correct answer. Yes. Kenya was a UK mm. colony. Colonization is the word. Colonization. C-O-L-O-N-I-S-A-T-I-O-N. So the interesting thing about that word is that the first part of it is also a body part. <laughs> I was going to say that. <laughs> and it well, shares the same spelling as the other pronunciation, which is colon, colonization, colonization, as Julie says. Did I get it right? As you were British, you got it right, yes. Yes. It can, it can also be spelt with the Z. Well, ah, I, yes. I said that at the start. I should get double bonus points for that. Double bonus yeah. points. Double bonus points. <laughs> I went to say double and then I said bonus, but feel free to give me double bonus points. Okay, thanks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're looking at the word rhyme. Oh, it's the hardest word ever. R-H-Y-T-H-M. 
Teenage. <laughs> I don't know you fit me under pressure. Is that rhythm? Rhythm. Rhythm and rhyme. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. R R H Y M E. Rhyme. I'm not disputing that. I'm not disputing that. It's correct. Well done. Yes. Yeah. How do you spell rhythm? Because I think that's what I was going for the first one. Yeah, that's a different word though. Julie. Yeah, I, I know. I was just, you said to go quickly. I was under pressure. Oh, I was actually I was so under pressure. I said spelled a different word. <laughs> oh, that was fun. Okay, that was the Learn and Experience podcast. Goodbye, Julie. Goodbye, Mike. Bye, Sam. Goodbye, everybody. We hope you enjoyed the show. That was the Learn and Experience podcast, exploring and making sense of the world we live in through adventure, life skills, and language. You can get in touch with us through all our social media, Instagram, Facebook, and our website, www.learnandexperience.com. See you next time.